0: Welcome to the HR Happy Hour show with Steve and Trish. Trish, I have a question for you. I know you are a fan of Disney. I know this about you over the years. So I have a Disney related question for you and here it is. Which of Snow White's seven dwarfs best describes you? And I can I can oh run through God. I can run through their names if you need if need be. No, I
1: of course I know their names. You know what? I do, can we go by like what hour of the day am I You can going? interpret like, this
0: question any way you want. It could be best describes you right this minute. Uh overall, uh,
1: I'm going to say overall happy. I'm happy. overall happy. Okay. I am. Every, everyone does tell me I'm an optimist, like I'm always trying to see the bright side. So I would say typically I'm happy and then yeah, I'd go with happy. I don't know. How about you? Which is which one do you relate
0: to? It's a tie, Trish, between grumpy and dopey for me. <laughs> Depends on the time of day.
1: It's. I can it's, probably be grump, grumpy as well. But. It's the
0: morning as we record this, so I'm probably going with grumpy. But uh, awesome.
1: Grumpy. Well, All right, I'm we'll going have to ask, to ask our guest. As we will well, ask
0: her. Hopefully, question. she's uh, prepared for that question. Uh, <laughs> Unlike unlike we were. So we have a great show today. I'm super excited to welcome back to the HR happy hour show, Catherine Minshew. I think for her third appearance, she's arguing with me. I think that it might be her second. I'm going to call it her third. Uh, But it's been a while since we've talked to her. Catherine is the CEO and founder of The Muse, a career platform used by over 75 million people to find their best fit jobs, companies, and careers. The Muse was recently named one of Fast Company's 50 most innovative companies in the world. Catherine is the host of The Muse's podcast, The New Rules of Work. She has spoken at MIT and Harvard, contributed to The Wall Street Journal and Harvard Business Review, and appeared on Today and CNN. In addition, Catherine and The Muse have been named to Deloitte's Technology Fast 500, Marie Claire's The New Guard, Smart CEOs, Future 50 Visionary CEOs, New York on Tech's Disruptors and Innovators, Inc.'s 30 Under 35, and Female Founders 100, One Young World's Entrepreneur of the Year, and many more. Welcome back, Catherine, to the HR Happy Hour Show. How are you today?
2: Thank you so much. I am excited to be here.
0: Catherine, Very do you want well weigh- to you weigh in on the Snow White question? It's up to you.
2: Oh, my goodness. Um, honestly, I'm going to have to Google the seven dwarves. I, I, I feel like I, sleepy or happy, depending on the time of day, is probably a pretty good uh, pretty good guess. Yeah.
0: We also had bashful Doc, Dopey, Grumpy, Happy, Sleepy, Sneezy. Those were all of them. So, uh, okay,
2: yeah. Sneezy, no, Bashful, definitely not. Doc, that's smart. I, I could, I could maybe hang with that. Uh, but I, I, like Trish. I like your answer. I like Happy. That's the way to go.
0: I think Doc was underrated, by the way. Just throwing that out there. But we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for for another time. So, Catherine, great to see you. Great to have you back on the show. How are things? How are things at the Muse? It's, it's, it's been oh, since awesome We be checked in.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's great to be back on the show. And I mean, what a wild year this has been, right? I, I feel like, um, you know, it's funny because I was going to ping you, I think, earlier this year, pre-COVID, and I'm kind of glad we waited till now because I feel like it's a totally different world. And in a lot of ways, you know, we've, we've made a bunch of big changes to the company. So this year has been, um, overall, I think it's been pretty good for the muse. Obviously, the beginning of the year was rough because, you know, January, February were these beautiful months. We were bringing on new customers. Everything was going great. And then, you know, like a screeching record halt, um, a global pandemic had to come in and, and mess up everything. But in a way, I think it's really allowed us to lean back into a lot of the um elements of our mission that are focused on the job seeker on really meeting people where they are. there's obviously a tremendous number of people um, looking for work or or kind of considering their work situations right now, and it's also pushed us in some really good ways um, to go more into remote video and employee generated content and we can talk more about that later but sure. um, but it's it's been quite the year and i'm uh, you know I'm excited to be still standing and and really um Really, you know, proud of what the team has done, but also looking forward to 2021 and, and hopefully, um, you know, getting, uh, yeah, getting, getting a little bit further away from the shock of the pandemic and more into some of these longer lasting after effects.
0: Yeah, great. Well, thank you for that update, Catherine. I'm glad you're, you're hanging in there, of course, right? And <laughs> still based in New York City, I'm assuming that's where the news always was. Yeah.
2: Still based in New York City, although I've worked from Utah, Wyoming, a uh, few different places. But I'm I'm doing this podcast from the East Village, um, and you know New York gets through anything. So uh, yeah. so glad glad we got through the the <laughs> dark days in the beginning.
0: Yeah, that's great. So Catherine, let's start with some of the things you're noticing around job seekers, right? Because the Muse existed from the beginning, right, to serve kind of new career or young career job seekers going back? Oh, God, the Muse has been around 10 years, Catherine, probably something like that. Nine, yeah. No, okay. We, that's,
2: uh, eight, nine. Yeah, we're, we're just about eight or nine years old, 2011. Um, yeah. So I guess, this uh, yeah, so we, we hit nine years in September. And um, you're right. I mean, it, this has been a year like no other, right? And so I think just quickly to set the stage. So in terms of who uses the Muse, you know, it's, it's five to 7 million people per month. And two thirds of them are under the age of 35. So we very much skew, like you said, Millennial and Gen Z. We've actually been doing a lot around campus recruiting and, and virtual campus recruiting. So seeing a lot of really interesting things from the student population, the new grad population. And then we do have obviously about a, you know, about a, a third of our users that are over 35, more experienced professionals. So we, we see sort of full spectrum, but definitely a skew towards the, um, the earlier and mid-career professionals. And you know it, it's been a really interesting time for them. So first of all, um, potentially you know, contrary to popular belief, um, right when COVID happened, there was actually a massive drop in job seeker interest. And you can actually see this if you look at um, you know, internet trends across all of the major job search platforms, nearly every single one, LinkedIn, Indeed, The Muse, um, we saw this, this drop as people actually hunkered down. Those that were passively job seeking stopped in most cases, Um, And many of people, many people who were unemployed or underemployed by the pandemic were so overwhelmed with the global situation with, um, you know, family responsibilities that in many, many cases um, there was, there was actually a real retraction of people looking for work, but that trend started to reverse in May, in June. um, And now obviously we're seeing, um, you know, a a lot of job search interest. Um, There's definitely a big concern among, um, you know, sort of, remote work, hybrid work, and not just obviously what things look like now, but we're finding a a lot of the the chatter, the conversation among, again, you know, professionals of all ages, frankly, but we see it a lot in in millennial and Gen Z, is how they want to work post-COVID. So we actually did a a survey, um, and it's still in progress, so this data may be updated as we get more responses, but of our users that are employed right now, uh, about half, used to work from an office, um, and are now working from home full time. Okay. Another just under 20% are working part time from home, part time from an office, um, which is interesting. And, and about 13% are back in the office full time. Um, but then when we ask, you know, what would you want to do in the future? Um, that was very interesting for me. About a third said every day or most days, with some flexibility in hours. Um, about a third said a few days a week, and about a third said um, they'd want to come back for important meetings or necessary activities. And actually, I should edit. it. It's about 30%, 30%, 30% because we had 9% that said they'd never want to come never back. Never want to go back, right. But I, I think that is interesting because, you know, I'm sure you both remember when the pandemic hit, there were all of these headlines blaring like everybody's remote forever. We're never going back. And our, our data would indicate otherwise. Um, and when you ask people why, it's human interaction, number one. Um, followed by uh, a number of people who enjoy the routine of the office. And then, and then obviously you've got the cohort who says, um, it makes me more productive. Yeah. So I, I certainly think we're going to see a lot more movement on these trends before we get to the the end of this. Um, but, um, but I, I would, I would estimate, and, and something I'm thinking about for the muse is that um, some sort of hybrid between part remote, part in person is going to become much, much more of the norm than either extreme.
1: You know, I, I, I'm actually a little bit surprised by some of the numbers that you mentioned initially, where the, um, you know, the job seekers dropped off initially. Is that something that you've seen before? I mean, obviously, you've been doing this a long time. If if there were other, sort of, maybe not as widespread tra- tragedies, have you seen any, any commonalities in that job seeker behavior before, or is this really sort of a brand new, new thing for us?
2: You know, that that's a great question. Um, to be totally honest, I don't have hard data on it before. Um, I don't think we were big enough earlier to track some of the national trends, and we didn't quite have the same competitive view to be able to see what was happening on other platforms. That said, from focus groups we've run, from conversations with job seekers, I do think that there's often a, there's often a sense in the wake of a major disruption, a national tragedy, something big happening at scale in our, in our country or in our world that um, I, I think makes people, you know, sit back and I, I mean, obviously people get more introspective as humans, um, But but there is some reason to believe that people pull back on change in general and specifically on, you know, job search, especially when it's not necessary or required, when there's a lot of macro uncertainty. Um, so so I, I will be certainly looking at this in the future. And I, I thought it was really interesting because most of the people outside the muse, you know, expected, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's April 15th. You must be seeing job seeker volumes soar. And at first we thought, you know, is, is it something wrong with us? And then we started to see it on other platforms. And of course, once it bounced back
1: and we were able to speak with job seekers, it, it became more clear what was actually happening underneath that data. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, one of the things I was thinking of as you were just describing, you know, the job seeker approach being different, have you started to see a change in the way that employers are approaching, um, whether it's job posting or even maybe where they're asking employees to to work or having a hybrid? Are you seeing any differences in what they're doing than maybe pre-pandemic? Absolutely.
2: Um, there's this, I mean, this has been so fascinating to me because, you know, we work with companies of all shapes, sizes, industries from, you know, huge banks down to to small, um, you know, kind of uh, mom and pop shops. And and I think, so the, the big trends we're seeing, and then we can break it down a little bit more, spe- you know, specifically, um, one is that, employers are rethinking their, obviously their, their work environment, but also how they communicate their culture and what their company is like in the age of remote work. Because, you know, I've been saying probably since last time I was on this podcast two years ago, (laughs) that ping pong table is not culture and it's never been culture. (laughs) I believe you did say that. Yeah, I remember that Exactly. (laughs) But if you can't go into an office where you have a ping pong table, it is definitely not your culture. And so companies are starting to say, one, how do we remote work? What are the norms? Um, What sort of check-ins do we want to do? How do we collaborate when we're not all in the office? But also, how do we hold strong to the values of our organization and the type of uh, culture we want to create, the way that work gets done in an environment where we can't be face-to-face right now and potentially for the future? Secondly, how do we communicate that externally? So again, um, photos of your office, not such a helpful thing right now to help the candidate get a sense for why they should pick you. So companies are shifting to um, capturing different, I mean, again, employee storytelling, employee generated content. Um, These are things that I have been excited about for a long time, but actually one of the big benefits for the muse in all of this, and I Now I feel crass talking about a benefit, but, you know, the pandemic was a real kick in the pants for us to get our own employee generated content products out there and to start to, um, you know, make sure it's really easy for an employee to record a video on their cell phone or type some answers into their laptop and contribute to the conversation about what their company is like to work for. So there's been this big shift towards sort of remote content. Um, And then one trend, which I think is, has been very interesting, on the employer side. And, and again, perhaps um, not totally unexpected, but this, this long-term shift that I believe we've been seeing in the industry away from um, sort of uh, very transactional HR towards more strategic HR has been accelerated. And there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. One, um, you know, I've, I've heard it said before that the 2008-2009 recession was sort of the recession of the CFO, where the, the role of the financial function in an organization, had a big spotlight shown on it, and it was really an opportunity for a lot of financial leaders to step up. Well, if you look at COVID, who is at the center of a company's response to COVID? It's the CHRO or the chief people officer or the talent function. So I think while it's very challenging for many of us in the industry, it's also been this powerful opportunity for talent leaders to step up in their organizations, you know, really drive decisions and policy And as a result, I think a lot of these elements of strategic HR are cascading through orgs. I mean, I'll give you a very simple example, but we continue to see a lot of our customers um, shifting their focus around, you know, how they measure the success of a hiring process away from um, how many applicants did I get? How cheap was it? And towards, did I get the right applicants? Did I get the right hire? You know, what is my efficiency ratio, the quality of applicant or the applicant to hire ratio? And, um, And people are starting to look at whether the employees they're hiring are the ones that they want to keep for the long run. Um, so I think it's, it's a really interesting time. And, you know, all of those trends probably deserve uh, much further study, their own episodes, perhaps, sure. but it, it's been really, um, it's been really interesting to, you know, to, to be part of it. And um, also to hear, you know, what's, what's working and, and what's not so much.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, Catherine, one of the points you made, which rang a bell with me is I've been following kind of the, some of these larger, uh, announcements around uh, extended work from home policies. And you talked about some of the data that, that you've gathered which suggests it's about a one-third, one-third, one-third split for, between these different modes of working, for, for what people prefer. But uh, having said that, the the current situation in many parts of the world, many parts of the country, right, certain companies, especially the big tech companies, are – extending work from home right for their entire workforces for out into the future uh microsoft did it dropbox did it recently amazon did it again i think yesterday maybe as we talked and extended work from home and one of the things i was reading about was uh, it was in, in the context of google right which one of the most famous companies in terms of the the perks and the you know the the great food on site and all the amenities and everything designed to help sort of shape that googly culture, which they can't do if everybody's working from home. And, and it was literally like a, a discussion of how do we, how do we kind of communicate this? How do we share it? How do we leverage it? Because th- that that was kind of a recruiting advantage maybe that they had and maybe other companies had as well. And the companies you're working with, Catherine, because the companies on your platform, I'm, I'm hoping or I'm imagining many of them are still, are, are hiring, right? They're still looking Absolutely. for people. Are there some things you've seen that they're doing a little bit differently to say, okay, maybe some advantages that we had with location or perks or something, or, you know, this collection of great smart people all together, how we adapt that to sort of continue to, to try to find the talent that they need.
2: Yeah, it, it is such an important question because exactly as you said, the, the old perks uh, many of them are just not things you can offer to employees right now. And I happen to think that this is actually a good thing again, because free snacks, guess what? You can buy your own snacks. What you can't (laughs) buy is a great work environment that treats its people well. Um, So I think it's good that companies are being forced to kind of go beneath the surface and ask these harder questions. So there's, there's a few big areas that we're seeing jump out. One is this question of, of distributed and remote work. So um, how does work literally get done on your team? What are the norms of distributed work? Um, do you facilitate virtual events? What sort of activities do you offer? What tools are people using? Um, how do teams collaborate now? I think that is, you know, those are always important questions, but they're, they're gaining sort of a new visibility um, because of this trip to remote. Um, a second one is uh, candidates are asking, how did, you know, how did your employer respond to COVID? Mm-hmm. What were some of the initial moves? How was communication? And so I think many companies that are proud of their response to COVID and how they took care of their people, even if, by the way, even if they had to do layoffs. Many companies are still um, able to be proud of how they handled a very difficult situation. And a lot of those companies are actually putting that front and center in their Muse profile, um, in their recruiting, talking about, look, you can count on us in hard times because we just had a hard time and here's what happened. And I think that is, um, is a really interesting trend. And then th- the last thing I'd say, and granted, I don't know that I'd put this under the, uh, under the bucket of something that companies are explicitly messaging but i think that COVID has been a really interesting champion for this increased drive towards authenticity and humanity in the workplace you know you think about this we're probably all recording this podcast from our living rooms or from somewhere in our, our places right we have you know a, a doorbell ring a pet or a kid bump in like there are so many different um, ways that your, you know, as an individual, your sort of full life, your full humanity can pop into your office persona. And again, I think this is actually a beautiful thing because the idea that we put on a suit and we go into an office and we're just a totally separate human, you know, that's really not how most people work. So I think companies are starting to both um, assess how they want to um, kind of handle this you know, it's, it's, it's work-life integration, but not in the sense of when you're at work, when you're at life. It's the fact that the two are, are fully meshing in, in some senses. I think companies are really grappling with um, how do they want to show up for their people in this brave new world. Yeah. And that is, a, that is a big question.
0: Yeah. I want to dig into that in a little bit more in a second, Catherine, but do we need to take a break? Quick pause. We do need to thank our generous sponsors and you mentioned humanity. I'm glad you did Catherine, because I would like to first thank our first sponsor work human, right? Which is what they're all about. This episode of the HR Happy Hour is made possible by Work Human. The world is watching the leaders of today and tomorrow. Modern employees want a workplace where they're respected, seen, appreciated, and heard, and they are demanding it. Employees have the right to a human workplace. You have the power to create one. Thriving organizations like Cisco, Merck, and LinkedIn have realized the immense benefits of putting the human at the center of work. Get your copy of the new book, Making Work Human, on Amazon and discover how. We just uh, ran our podcast with Derek Irvine, one of the co-authors of Making Work Human. So check that out as well in the archive. I do also want to thank our uh, other sponsor, Paychex, who we love, right? Uh, I have a very soft spot for Paychex, Catherine. I lived in Rochester, New York for a very long time where Paychex is headquartered. They are uh, awesome and they are one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. While 2020 has challenged HR leaders by ne- like never before, they continue to play an important strategic role in their organization, while also fueling efficiency, building culture, and developing teams using the latest technology and tools available. The fourth annual 2020 Paychex Pulse of HR Survey provides an in-depth look at how HR professionals are contributing to the success of the companies they serve. You can go to paychex.com pulse2020 to download your copy of the 2020 Paychex Pulse of HR Survey today and learn more how your peers are transforming the HR function within their organizations from improving employee engagement to evolving company perks and more. Wow, it's great. Catherine, what we're talking about <laughs> kind of lines up with these. I with love our, it. What our sponsors are talking about as well, which is really cool. So anyway, thanks to Working Human and Paychecks uh, and really appreciate all their support. Catherine, you talk about authenticity and your leader, right? You're leading your company. I'd love to maybe comment a little bit about whether it's just how you've kind of adapted, how you're leading your team through all this, or maybe how some of the companies you're working with, how you're advising them to continue to evolve their messaging and how they're leading. Are, are there really fundamental changes in kind of the way we're leading and kind of kind of supporting our employees through this? I'd love your your thoughts on that. As just someone who's been, you know, leading your team for throughout all this.
2: Yeah, yeah. I certainly think that. COVID and the events of the last few months, um, not frankly, not just the pandemic, but also the protests for racial justice, the broader conversation that we're having about a lot of really important social issues. Um, I think it is changing how leaders lead. And, you know, personally, um, I'll I'll start at the, at the, you know, beginning of March. Um, it, It was really, Frankly, it was it was devastating um, when it became clear very quickly. I think to a lot of people just how seriously this situation um, was going to be. And and actually, I had COVID in March. Wow. Uh, I didn't. Know it. Yeah, I I I was lucky. It was it was not pleasant, but it was not. You know, my life was never in danger. It was it was not uh, that bad. I'm also. I think I, I think I just I think I got very lucky. Um, but you know being in this sort of uh, time of national upheaval, when you've got a team of people looking to you for for guidance and for what's next. Um, And also, you know, at the same time, going through my own personal experience of that, um, it was was a lot and I think it really pushed a lot of leaders to their breaking points or, or to a very intense place. But at the same time, you know, I think that we are in an age where what people expect from their leaders is more than they have in the past. And again, I think that's a good thing. I I believe in the trend towards leaders being increasingly vulnerable and open. Um, I think it was very hard to not be vulnerable in any way during the pandemic and to come off as anything other, you know, just, you you just, um, you couldn't, I think most people just couldn't kind of fake their way through that. And I think that's a good thing. So, you know, I, um, I, I'm certainly sure that there's things that I personally could have done better. We, We had to Um, cut the team at the Muse. And that was one of the hardest things that I've had to do, especially because right, you know, up until the pandemic happened, we were really on a tear. And so, you know, we were just blowing out goals every month. Like it was just, it was a beautiful thing. Um, We had just, so we had gotten some great data at the end of last year on the applicant to hire ratio of Muse candidates that essentially demonstrated that we were like, multiple times higher quality than a lot of our competitors and so even if we had fewer applicants in some cases you know we were we were very efficient at converting them into hires long story short it had lit this fire under the company we were you know running for the top of the mountain everyone's feeling great uh, and then you know and and then this happened and so i think for me it was important for me to communicate very frequently with the company and for them to see me as a human and for me to share the kind of um, you know, the, the real experience and, and also because that allows your employees to share their experiences. And, you know, we, we needed to make it okay to talk about people who were balancing childcare and work, people who were struggling to focus because the news was so bad. Um, you know, you, I think it was not a time to pretend that we're all just worker robots, because again, that's just not how humans work. If you'd like to have a team of robots, build a factory and build a bunch of robots. If you'd like creative, passionate humans to do, you know, to do to, to, to do the work at your company, I think you've got to acknowledge all of the, the fullness of being human. And so um, at the same time, I think, you know, as we've gone through the summer, um, for me, the conversations in late May and early June around Black Lives Matter were very, very Um, you know, they were, they were, they were motivating. They were kicking the pants. They were a call to do more both personally and in my business uh, for the cause of, you know, equality and equity um, in this country, which I think we still have a long way to go. But I think that, you know, big challenges invite people to step up. And I've been, I I think it's also been a real powerful opportunity um, for teams to step up for leaders to step up. Um, and so I do think that many people will look back on this period as as a very painful year, but as one that forced a lot of growth and a lot of important conversations.
0: Yeah, Catherine, I think that's uh, absolutely right. So maybe we'll kind of wrap with this then, right? We've kind of gone through a lot. You personally, we've learned now, right? Just personally with your own uh, health issues, right? That, thank God you're okay. And through the struggles with the company, which is very real, right? So many companies like The Muse had to go through some really, really tough times and hopefully are coming out of this now. We're hopefully all coming out of this. although. I keep wanting to say that, and it seems like you know we're still kind of all stuck in the same place, but we're recording this in semi-late October. So maybe Catherine, uh, the last thing I'll, uh, I'll ask is, kind of as you look forward, both from kind of the, the, the perspective of someone who works with employers and job seekers, as well as kind of your thoughts on just how the how things are going to evolve over the next, you know, three, six months, etc. Like, how do you see kind of next year unfolding in terms of the employer and job seeker relationship and things sort of maybe getting back to more semi normal? And because growth is still happening, right? Jobs are being added every month. So I, I'd love for your perspective, because you see a lot of data around this area.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So growth is absolutely happening. Uh, People are looking for jobs, companies are hiring. But I think for most parts of the economy, we are still in a very cautious phase. And that makes sense, right? There's a few sectors, um, parts of healthcare, parts of education, parts of technology that are doing very, very well because of these big shifts. But most of us are still Um, most of us are still being careful. And I think that my expectation is for the next uh, six to nine months, we will continue to see caution as a key theme across both sides of the marketplace. What do I mean by that? Um, Job seekers will be more cautious about making voluntary moves. Um, Employers will be more cautious about the roles that they hire, um, the, the types of hiring that get done. But at the same time, I also think that we're moving towards a great reshuffling. And that, I believe, is going to come a little bit further out 12, 18, 24 months. It's hard to predict because I think so much is dependent on when the economy gets back to normal. But what I mean by the great reshuffling is any crisis forces people to take a hard look at their priorities and their life. And a lot of people are taking that look and saying, maybe I want something different than where I am right now. And there are companies that have taken a hard look at their businesses and said, You know, we need to make this shift and we need to make it fast. We need to change how we do certain core parts of our business. And so once we get out of this cautious period, which I, again, I think is going to last for several months longer, I believe that there will be, um, a real reshuffling and I think that's going to come in a lot of forms. I think there will be employees that feel like that they're settling right now. Yeah. People that maybe took a job in the depths of the pandemic because they needed it or stayed at a company um, because, you know, because they didn't want to they make a change. They were
0: just lucky they had a job kind of thing, right? Yeah.
2: Completely. And by the way, I tell this all the time to HR leaders, there, there were a number of, of um, leaders who, when you know, when COVID happened and the unemployment uh, numbers skyrocketed, there was a lot of conversation in private HR groups that, well, now we have the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Great, uh- congratulations! You have the upper hand for about five and a half seconds in the scheme of things, and um, you know, but but don't think that you're going to put this genie back in the bottle. Yes, there are a lot of people right now who will stay at a mediocre job, who will take whatever positions offered, but that is not an enduring trend. And when the economy starts to pick up, I think we will see a lot of job seekers on the move, a lot of companies taking advantage of that time to hire great people um, by, again, trumpeting how they've taken care of their employees or how they've reacted through this, this challenging time. Um, And so, you know, I guess high level, I think some of the biggest trends around um, hybrid work, people doing some of their work together, some uh, at home, I think that is here to stay. The uh, increased focus on authenticity, you know, last thing, the Muse is known for beautiful produced, you know, employer branding videos as, as one part of our product we are not recommending those to many companies um, because employee generated content is so powerful and it's what a lot of people are looking for. So yes, there's always going to be some need for you know, this, this kind of shiny messaging, but I think there's really um, a, a, much bigger, a much bigger drive towards people talking to people again, much more authenticity. And that's both in the recruiting process as well as in the workplace.
0: Yeah, Catherine, I think you're so right on that. And I think that's a great way to kind of optimistically kind of wrap up uh, this discussion, right? Because it has been a tough year for everybody, but we're all looking forward to the positives that can come out of this, both for workers, for workplaces, and for our companies as well. Uh, Catherine, it's been so great to see you again. It's been a while for your second and/or third time on the show, and I will find that out for sure. Yeah. Catherine, all I'm gonna say is if you make it on the show five times, you win a prize. That's all I'm saying. So you have oh, that to look forward. Don't me to.
2: with a good time.
0: Yeah, you've got that to look forward to. The, the website is themuse.com. We'll put that link, of course, in the website. And, and Catherine, you can find everywhere, LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera. She's all over the place. Uh, easy to find and uh, super uh, open to connecting as uh, we've learned over the years. Catherine, so good to see you and uh, glad you're well. And uh, thanks for spending some time with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was so great to be with you both.
0: Great. All right, Trish, good stuff. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad we got to talk to Catherine again one more time uh, or one, uh, one time again, another, another one of our many uh, frequent guests that I, that I love. I love when people come back to the show and we catch up with them.
1: Absolutely. No. And I think that I was, it was just nice to hear, um, some of the statistics that we had not heard anywhere else. Um, and some surprising ones actually about, you know, behavior of, um, job seekers. So good stuff.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All right. For our guest, Catherine Minshew, for Trish McFarland, my name is Steve Bose. This has been the HR Happy Hour Show. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time and bye for now.